Thank you, thank you for that. Every now and then I come to the pulpit saying, Lord, help me to preach as good as the musicians are playing. And uh, one of those, this is one of those times today. Thank you for, uh, for uh, your participation at, at, at kind of a last minute. And uh, uh, we rejoice at what God uh, is doing and has the talent he's blessed so many with. Well, from the book of uh, 2 Timothy, I would read to you this morning some familiar words. The very end of Paul's life, the great apostle has come to the end and, is, uh, and he's writing final words of instruction to the, to, to the one uh, man he loves like a son, the young man Timothy. And uh, we read these words from the fourth chapter of uh, the book of 2 Timothy. Paul says to Timothy in verse 6, For I am already being offered, uh, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What a testimony he gives of all the difficulty he had faced in life, of all the injustice, of, of all the negative things that happened to him, beaten at church, beaten because of church, there were more contracts put out for the life of Paul than anybody in Scripture. He has lived in the face of death and destruction and disaster for his lifetime since, since his conversion. And yet at the end of his life, his testimony is, I've run a good race for God. I've fought the good fight of faith. I've completed my course. And I'm going home to receive a reward from the righteous judge himself. And it's not just a reward for me, but it's a reward for everybody. And so Timothy, I think he's saying, keep the faith and uh, stay true to God. And uh, God will see you through whatever life brings you. Amen. If there's a one-sentence sermon today I have for you, it's that God will bring you through whatever life brings you. God will see you through. God will be faithful to you no matter what life brings to you. There's meanness and there's injustice and there's evil and there's all kinds of things that are not right in this world. But God will see you through every single time until we inhabit the world in which there is only right and only good and nothing wrong or negative. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about the greatness of God and God's involvement in our lives and God's desire for our lives. God, as I've been saying these weeks of summer, God has so much more for us than we generally take advantage of. God desires for you and I to live a life far greater than sometimes we live. God wants you and I to have more victory over sin and the works of Satan. God wants you and I to be stronger in the face of temptation so that we don't have to yield. God wants to do more for us then we oftentimes let him do. And if there's one criticism of the Christianity in America today, it could be because we have things so easy that we don't take advantage of all that God would have us to, to, to take advantage of, and we live below the level of living God desires for us. I want to talk to you about that today. God has great grace for all of us. God has a great calling and, and direction for our lives, and God has an accomplishment that he will do through us that it is beyond anything we can comprehend. And what more of a life is there in Scripture to prove all of that than the great Apostle Paul? I remind you that he was not always the great Apostle Paul. I remind you that at times he was, the, he was, a, he was a very powerful opponent of God. 
Saul of Tarsus, born Tarsus being in, in, in modern-day southern Turkey, and Paul was born into this Jewish setting with all the right credentials. He had the right bloodlines that, that, that could trace his lineage all the way back to Abraham. That gave him special privilege in the Jewish world as, as one of the pure-blooded pure, uh, young men. He would be educated uh, through the ranks of the day when he was 14. His parents are about 14. His parents sent him to Jerusalem to study under one of the most uh, noted and prominent rabbis in the Jewish world, that of Gamaliel. Paul would, uh, would uh, Saul then would, uh, would study under this specific man. Paul must have had a brilliance about him, and Paul must have had an ability to speak about him, and, and soon it seemed to be that there were few people like him in the ranks of all Judaism. Paul would become one of the youngest members of the group uh, of the Jewish church called the Pharisees. Pharisees were keepers of the law, the law being the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, although they had decided Ten Commandments were not quite definitive enough, and they had expanded what all those commandments meant. And at the time of Jesus, it's about 600 and something rules, and, and the Pharisees were the keepers of this law. They were serious about that. And uh, although we give the Pharisees a bad rap and we look down upon them and we think about how sorry they might have been in a context of serving for God, at their intent, just the opposite was true. They were the most religious, devoted, devout people of the Jewish religious world. And Paul was a leader of that group. It's often been said, I say it quite often, that the most powerful person in any gathering the most powerful person in any organization is usually the person who knows the most about the rules, manual of operation. And Paul distinguished himself in, in, in every way. Paul was a part of a group that was not intent on evil. They were looking for God, and yes, they had gotten off track, and they had lost their focus and all those things. But at, but at the heart of being a Pharisee was to preserve the very things of God and to wait for and to look for the coming of the great Messiah. When you study why these specific groups around the Jewish church, even in the lifetime of Jesus, their intent was pure. The, the, the life of devotion they lived would, would outshine most of ours. They were, they, they were zealous for the things of God. They prayed regularly and daily. They read Scripture uh, regularly in their daytime some of the more devout ones carried a scripture written all the time, and the Bible calls it a phylactery, a little box around their head or sometimes around their, their, their neck. They would carry this. If I can't imagine how small the script would be to write 613 or 14 rules on a little bitty piece of paper and carry it in a box, and I don't know what value it would have. I wouldn't be able to see it. I can hardly see my big print Bible, you know, but they carried scripture with them all the time. I'll tell you, folks, I, I, I marvel that. Sometimes we're almost ashamed to be, to be noted with God's Word, but here's a group of people that so thought God's Word was significant, they never left home without it. They carried it in, in public display. But anyway, Paul rose to the ranks of the Pharisee, elected as a young man, and deciding that his, his, uh, his mission in life was to destroy any religious idea contrary to Judaism. And the Bible doesn't tell us why Paul focused on the followers of Christ, but 
somehow Paul fought, began to, to focus on the followers of the way. That's the way that they were described in a crucified, resurrected Lord. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and Peter stood out and preached a message and the Spirit of God shook that city. Christianity was off and running. The Jewish church didn't like that and Paul was the leading spokesman. And so Paul was so uh, respected and, and, and so devout and, and uh, so influential that he had letters from the authorities to hurt these Christian people. He had letters. In fact, the Bible says to go from house to house in Jerusalem to search to see if there's anybody and any evidence of a person belonging to this sect, he would say, of called Christians, not called Christians at that point in history, but Paul was a an arch opponent and enemy of Christ. Can you imagine today someone coming to your door and, and without asking permission come in and search your house to see what evidence there would be of Christ in your house and with authority to take whatever action was necessary to punish that. There is no telling how many men Paul had beaten because they confessed Christ. There's no telling how many men Paul had put in prison because of their belief in Christ. There's no way to tell. History doesn't tell us how many men lost their lives due to the influence of this zealous man he thought for God. There's no way to know how many kids came home from school to find their parents had been carted off and jailed or banished. Even more important in this close-knit Jewish world, there's no telling, no way to gauge how many people Paul said they're, they're on the, the wrong list. You will not sell to them. You will not buy from them. We, we're going to excommunicate you within our community. We're, we're going to shun you. We're going to pretend you don't exist and you can't buy food even though you have money and you can't sell your wares even though you have things to sell. Paul was a, was a bad guy and, and yet God chose Paul. Would you have chosen Paul? I would not have. I would have wanted to God to give Paul what he deserved. A man who prayed on, on good people. A man who, brought, who wreaked havoc on the lives of men and women who had placed their faith in a resurrected Christ. I would not have wanted to have helped Paul at all. He deserved severe punishment, at least in my eyes. But God thought differently. And the grace of God that is extended to you and I was extended to this bad man. It's a great story in chapter 9 of Acts. Paul has had such a, a, a success in Jerusalem of going house to house looking for Christians that he has heard there's a group of Christians in the city of Damascus and he's got letters of the, from the authorities allowing him to go down to Damascus and to, and to bind anyone he finds following the name of Christ and take them back to Jerusalem to stand trial. He's leaving Jerusalem with pomp and circumstance. He's leaving Jerusalem, we know at least, with a couple of uh, people with him, but probably a much more, a much larger brigade of people win. And, and word goes ahead of him, and his reputation precedes him. You know the story of how somewhere before he got to Damascus, a blinding light shone around him. I thought about that today. I thought about blinding lights this week, and I don't know if anybody remembers when, when the cameras had flash bulbs. Anybody remember that? I'm not going to admit that I do. I think I was still a little boy when they had flash bulbs. And those bulbs would go off and it would just blind you for a moment. And 
I've seen uh, uh, the effects of lightning that almost would, would, would be blinding for a moment. Or, and when cameras uh, lost their flash bulbs, but their flash mechanism, it was kind of blinding. I mean, a light that we can't even comprehend shone upon those men and threw them to the ground. And a voice out of the nowhere came to say, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I read it again this morning. It says, Paul's traveling companions were amazed. They heard the voice, but they saw no one. And the light blinded Paul. And he might have left, he might have, or Saul, he might have left Jerusalem with great power and circumstance and a big deal, but he entered Damascus humbled by the very power of God. He was had to be led by hand into, into the city of Damascus, and he went to an upper room. And this religious man, all he knew to do was pray. It's a great story in chapter, in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Because God had a man in, in, in Damascus who was one of his own named Ananias. I, I personally believe that if Paul had a list of Christians he was looking for in Damascus, Ananias' name had to be on it. I can't prove that in Scripture. It doesn't mean anything if I could. But the Lord said to him, Ananias. I think it's amazing that Luke doesn't say the Lord does Ananias is praying. The Lord just kind of revealed it. The Lord called him by name. I'll tell you, folks, if God calls us by name to do certain things, we better listen up and we better pay attention. We better. It was a personal message, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to Ananias, I want you to go over there to Straight Street in a house of Judas. In an upper room is a man named Saul who is praying, and he has seen in a vision from me that a man named Ananias is going to come and lay his hands upon him so he can regain his sight. In one of the great honest prayers of the Bible, Ananias said, Lord, heard about this guy. He's a bad man. I've heard what he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And God seemed to say to Ananias, don't talk about a man I have chosen that way. I have chosen him as my, he is my chosen vessel, and you are to go. And, and, and one of the greatest moments of obedience recorded in Scripture, the Bible said that Ananias goes over to Straight Street and somehow finds the house of Judas in the upper room, and they let him in. Paul was desperate for that, and he grabbed a hold of Paul and said, Brother Saul, Saul by that name. I don't know if I would have touched him. I think I'd like to have stood at the door and just spoken to him and hollered at him and said, Lord, send me here and, and everything's okay. But the Bible said that Ananias went in and placed his hands upon Saul and said, the Lord has sent me here. And scales, something like scales fell off Paul's eyes and Saul's eyes and he could see and, and uh, he, he began to, in fact, the Bible says he was immediately baptized. How he knew to do that, I don't know. He was immediately baptized and then he began to eat and drink and then he began to talk about what God had done in his life. These, these three days of blindness, how he had sought the Lord and, and God doesn't turn any soul away that is seeking him, even a bad guy like Paul. The Lord came into his heart and life. As we would say, he became converted that day. He really found Christ. It changed his life. It revolutionized his life. He was what the Bible says is a new creature, a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All has become new. He is a new man. Listen, folks, I want to remind you, God still wants to do that in our lives today. God still has the power to save and the power to rescue and the power to heal and the power to touch. God's great grace reached this bad man. I wouldn't have chosen Paul, but I sure am glad God did. Because if God would not reject Paul, 
then maybe I have a chance and you have a chance. And we know that we do. No matter what we've done, no matter what is in our past, God's grace, great grace, seeks to find us and is extended to us. And in a crowd of this many people, I dare say there's somebody here that has done something in their past that they're really ashamed of and they're, 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 they, they don't want anybody to know and done some terrible things. Probably in a crowd of this size, there are some people who have done some things that no one has, they've never told anyone and the enemy would keep it ever before us, and the enemy would tell us we're not worthy, and the enemy would tell us that God really can't do anything to change our lives. But I want to tell you, on the basis of what God did for Paul, the great mighty grace of God reaches all of us, and your life and my life can be changed and redeemed and set on the right path and turned from the way that we're going to head toward the life God has for us. And every one of us ought to say hallelujah for the grace of a great God that reaches every one of us and we don't live in the victory that God has for us sometimes we are too tempted to let the enemy tell us how bad we've been and how sorry we are and how disappointed God must be and the enemy kind of takes what's already in our minds and, and uses it against us when God says my grace is sufficient for you and Paul was a man that so was so changed he even sought to change his name change his name from Saul to Paul and life was forever different for him. I'm glad that God still has the power to change lives today. We don't talk about that in church sometimes. God has the power to change lives. We, we hear reports of bad people and mean people and, and evil people. And it seems, to be, it seems to be exploding in our world. But there is no case too difficult for God's grace to reach and to bring redemption and a changed life. Paul immediately set out and began to speak. He goes to the synagogue in Damascus and begins to make an argument for Christ. And nobody really believes what he's doing. This great opponent of, of Christianity is now speaking in favor of Christ. They thought it was a trick. And word would come to the Christian church at Jerusalem, who had probably been praying for deliverance from Paul, deliverance from Saul and his persecution. Word comes to him that a miracle has taken place, that this Saul has received Christ and it has revolutionized his life. And they did what church people always have done. They said, we don't believe it. We can't believe it. It was too great of a change to fit in their minds. And it took Barnabas. It took Barnabas. I'm going to preach about Barnabas next week. It took Barnabas be willing to take hold of Paul and introduce him to the Christian church, and history has been changed. I want to remind you this morning, God has great grace for you. God wants to do a new work in your life. No matter where we've been or what we've done, no matter the failures we might have had, no matter the bad things we might have done, God wants to bring change into our lives. No matter how long we walk with Christ, God still has change for us. And the great grace of God has been extended to all of us, so if you have loved ones you've been praying for that are far from God, don't give up. If you have loved ones that you can't hardly believe what they've done and what you know about that they've done and think about what they've done you don't know about, don't give up. Because God's grace is still greater than all of our sin, the Bible says. And Paul is descriptive of that. And then God set for him a purpose that he could not have imagined. Here's a young man born in the city of Tarsus, educated in the finest of schools, sent to sit under the tutorship of uh, this uh, noted rabbi. They thought he would change his world. They changed the world he lived in. They, no, no one ever realized that God would bring about 
a change in the world he lived in, but far different from the Jewish world. And Paul begins to preach and, uh, and becomes the, the first of everything in the early church, the first theologian, the first traveling preacher, the first missionary, the first church planter. I mean, God sent Paul to the centers of humanity in his world. God sent Paul to the places where people congregated. God sent Paul to the trade routes by sea and by land. God sent Paul to the heart of, of the world in which they live to proclaim the message of Christ. Only Paul probably would have been brave enough to do it calling of God is on his life is so dynamic and and uh, he could not have known at the beginning what God would do and he is faithful and obedient to let God lead him someone has said if it wasn't for Paul maybe Barnabas and a couple of others Christianity would have remained a regional uh, religion for a few people but it's Paul that gave a worldwide call. It's Paul that made true what God's Word says. Whosoever will may come to him. Born on the wrong side of the tracks, nothing to God. Born without the privilege and honor, nothing, it's nothing to God. Born without all the things our society says are important, nothing to God. It's God's will and God's purpose that takes place. And Paul would sell the world in his day and time. I think about the fact that Jesus, some say, probably never traveled more than 200 miles from the place from Bethany where he was born, Bethlehem where he was born. Paul sailed the world in his day. Can you imagine that? I mean, back before there was commuter airlines and back before there was, there was uh, the world was a smaller place as we know it from, from our travel and our ability to see around the world. Paul traveled the world and throughout Asia Minor and throughout Europe, he went proclaiming the good news of Christ. And he established the church there. It was not easy. We know he endured a lot along the way. Book of, uh, to the Corinthians, he describes that at the end of his life. He said, you know, it's been a tough life. I've been arrested more times than I could count. Would spend a total of seven years or so in prison. The last seven years of in prison, he would be beaten with rods on three different occasions. I think five times he received 39 lashes with a great scourging whip. The Romans believed that 40 lashes would kill anybody, so they stopped one short. It's where the phrase almost beaten to death comes from. And Paul said, I've been faithful to God. And they beat me almost to death. Paul said one time, they got so bad at me at church, they took me out and stoned me. I, I was preaching one time in a revival service some uh, years back in I made the statement that Paul was stoned, and all the teenagers began to look up and listen to me. Not that kind of stoned. He was really stoned with rocks and uh, shipwrecked and thought he would die out on the water. But God spared him. And at the end of his life, he has written one almost a half of the New Testament. He is the greatest convert Christianity had in those early days. And although he was chained in maximum security prison and they, a guard on each side and a guard outside the door, they changed every four hours. Don't you think Paul witnessed to those men to tell them what God could do? I, I would imagine it was, there were some moments and some weeks when the question of who's really in prison would be the question. Who's really in change? Is it Paul or is it these guards that can't get away from him in which he's, pressed, he's, he's witnessing to and testifying to? No doubt it's part of the key the elite guard of the Roman Empire, no doubt it's part of the key that about 300 years after the birth of Christ, do you realize Christianity was, was named the official religion of the Roman Empire? 
all goes back to what God was able to do through Paul. It reminded me this morning that God has a purpose for all of us. God has a purpose in your life that is greater than you can comprehend. God wants to reach people that you know in ways beyond your ability to understand. God wants to do more than you can, than you can see if you will let Him in your life. The great God of grace has a great call upon all of our lives. Not all of us are called to stand before a group of people and preach a message. But we're all called to be faithful witnesses of Him. You know what would be the most powerful thing in the world today is if God's people simply, simply uh, lived and told what God had done in their lives everywhere they went. And every day was a day of witnessing, and every day was a positive day to reflect Christ. It would revolutionize places of business and revolutionize neighborhoods. And, and uh, wherever there are people, it would revolutionize if God's people lived with greater victory every day of their lives without being obnoxious or anything like that. We simply tell what God has done for us. And, and then finally this morning, what God is able to do, the purpose God has for our lives uh, literally is beyond our understanding and beyond our comprehension. He has great accomplishments for all of us, and He has it for your life as well. The God of great grace is where it starts, and our ability to understand and obey is what allows God to work, and the accomplishment is God's. As a young man, as a young minister, I thought the, the results were, 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 were all on me. I kept detailed records of where I preached and who I preached to and how many people were there and how many people came to the altar and how many people confessed to, to, to receive Christ for the first time and how many people committed their lives to Him. And, and I didn't know any better. I didn't know any different. And one day I finally realized God doesn't call me with the result, to, to, to breed the result. God calls me to be a faithful witness. And He will bring about the accomplishment, and I've learned that God's accomplishment is greater than anything I could ever do on my own. It's the same in your life. It's the same in all of our lives. God wants to bring about the results, and if we live in power and grace and obedience to Him, He is doing a greater work than we ever imagined Him to do. I've often wondered as a little boy what we're going to do in heaven for eternity that sounds pretty boring to me. I, I don't know how you'd last forever without a whole lot of an, an agenda. And I know that's a very immature thought and all those things. But wouldn't it be something if God spends eternity telling us all the points of contact and all the things He's done through our obedience? It's beyond our comprehension and the way God has touched this person and that person and that person. And we didn't even know God was at work about that con in that context in our lives. We were just trying to be faithful to Him. Thank the Lord, our God is a God of great accomplishment. Folks, His will will be done. His will will be done with us or without us. His will will be done. And when the world comes to an end, the will of God will take place. And thy kingdom will come, Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven. God doesn't expect us to bring the results. He asks us to receive His great grace. He asks us to receive, to receive His Word and to be obedient to follow. He asks us to trust Him. By the way, it's not always easy. That's what Ananias did in the life of Paul. He just simply took the next step and did what God told him to do and go on over to Straight Street. But what God was able to do through him 
In fact, it was Ananias that helped Paul find Christ and realize that in, in, the, in Damascus. And it was a group of people that helped Paul get out of town and escape before they could kill him. It was Barnabas that introduced him to the church in Jerusalem. Without those three groups of involvement, there is no Paul. He would have died at the point God was beginning his ministry. God is a God of great accomplishment. And if we will let his grace penetrate our lives, if we will let his grace lead us to the victory God has for all of us, if we will daily seek to obey him, if we will commit our way to the Lord, as the Bible says, God will do his will in us, around us, through us, in ways we can't even comprehend. If I am faithful today, God is at work. If I will be faithful tomorrow, God is at work. And God is always doing greater than anything we can comprehend. I thought about the story of Amazing Grace this week, and I've read again the story of Isaac Newton, and you know the story. What a bad guy he was. Mother died as a, when he was still a, 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 an elementary age child with almost no training his seagoing father took him to uh, on the high seas and this his life story says from that moment on at the age of nine or ten his life began to go down in 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 debauchery and and he began to be a a pretty uh, evil person At, at age nine or ten by the time he was a teenager he was piloting slave ships from africa to the united states the, the life story of him says that he treated everybody equally, and that was badly. My favorite part of his life story is the time he fell, over, he fell overboard. Instead of throwing him a life jacket, his crew threw the harpoon at him, trying to kill him. It must have been, uh, they don't re- the recorders don't write what happened when he got back on the boat, but he was mean and disrespectful to everybody. He had no regard for life in any context, in any way, even his own life. And he lived near death so much of the time. By the time he was in his early 20s, the, he had been imprisoned off the coast of Africa. And it said his treatment was so poor that even the other prisoners felt sorry for him and They starved him to death, and the prisoners would share their bits of food. He got a a, a high fever, I think it was malaria. He would go out of his mind in, in, in delusion from his fever. And in that context, this bad man prayed that if God would help him live, he would turn his life around for God. And his his memoirs say that from that hour on, he started getting better, and he got well, and he got free, and he kept his word, went back to England, and began to study for the ministry. They say he was a voracious reader of Scripture. He read the Bible and through and many times, and, and, and could not get enough of God's word. By the, it took him almost 14 years before anybody would give him a ministerial place of responsibility. Now he was 39 years old. By the way, he had written almost 300 songs and poems, and he wrote in song his life's testimony, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And it's grace through many dangers, toils, and snares. He said, I have already come, but it's God's grace that's brought me safe thus far, and God's grace will lead me home. And then he has a great testimony. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as a star, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun, all because of God's amazing grace. Would you have chosen Paul to be a Christian? I would not, I don't think. But God's ways are far above my ways, thank goodness. And because God chose Paul, he will not reject us. And we have a future and a hope in him because of his great grace. God wants this to be a week of great victory for every one of us. God has already put the, paid the price for that. He wants us to have greater victory over temptation. And may we go in the strength of the Lord this morning. Uh, praising God that a great God of more wants to help us <clears throat> live and accomplish in ways we've never dreamed of. <clears throat> and may God, may we let God do that in our lives. Amen and amen. Would you stand this morning and <clears throat> we'll have a closing prayer. Father, we are thankful today for the truth of Scripture. And while I marvel at what you've done especially through the life of this guy that was a great enemy. I rejoice that because you did it for him, you will do it for me. I praise you for your great grace. I praise you that you are a God of more. I praise you that you will walk with me, you will lead me, you will walk beside me, you will guide me and guard me this week. And may we live in greater strength today because of a realization again of who you are and what you can do in our lives. I ask your blessing now as we go to our places of uh, uh, our residences and prepare for our work week. May we not get away from the parts of this service that were especially meaningful to us. We praise you for your great grace. It's in your name that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen.